Um, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Good morning to all of you. Uh, my name is Jamie Mulvaney and I'm an associate minister here. It's wonderful to see you here this morning, particularly if it's your uh, first time. And uh, the, the passage that we've just heard uh, about the woman with the alabaster jar is uh, one that many people here will know really, really well. Uh, some people here today will be hearing it for the first time. And it's meant to make us all feel uncomfortable. You just imagine for a moment that you're uh, hosting a dinner party and the honoured guest at your house is uh, the Prime Minister, the King, the President, uh, you name it. And in walks uh, a sex worker um, wearing loads of makeup, not much else. Actually, no, no, scrap that. Um, in walks the, the most hateful, least forgivable person you can think of. I wonder who that person might be. And they, they come in and they come to the, the feet of your honoured guest and uh, they, they kneel, they sort of collapse in a heap at the, the feet of your honoured guest and they start kissing the feet uh, of your honoured guest and, um, and pouring perfume and crying uh, over your honoured guest. It's around about sort of 10% of uh, just how awkward this situation is. Awkward, yes, awkward, but it's also the very, very essence of what it means to be a person of faith. When you hear that word faith, when you think of uh, church or religion, perhaps uh, here this morning you're thinking, this is a bit like being in a museum. You know, perhaps it's interesting from time to time, maybe not, uh, but it's not actually gonna have any impact on my life. Or perhaps uh, you have been following Jesus for quite some time and just things have got a bit stale uh, in your life. But here we see that the universal human condition, both ancient and modern, we see both shame and pride, shame and pride. I wonder where you are on the, on the spectrum of shame to pride. 
You know, maybe you, you oscillate at between the two. You know, I, I messed up today. Or, on the other hand, actually, I haven't particularly had anything to, to say sorry to God about uh, recently. You know, oscillating between thinking we're awful, thinking we're awesome. Uh, perhaps not ever quite reaching either of those extremes. Maybe being somewhere in the middle. I find it fascinating that in, these, uh, in the first two verses of our passage, three times, three times Luke tells us that Simon is a Pharisee. A Pharisee. Uh, the, the religious and cultural elite who are known for um, taking pride in being religiously pure. They took pride in that. They're known for, for that. The three times we're, we're told that Simon is a Pharisee, three times we're told that the woman is a sinner. I mean, what an identity. Not just that you sin, but also that you are a sinner. And uh, we see in verse 37 that she lived a sinful life. And so we can be certain that this woman was a prostitute. That the, the, the culture around her wanted to, to shame her. But Jesus doesn't turn her into a cartoon. Jesus doesn't make her 2D. She's not a problem to be dealt with. She's not a person to cancel to Jesus, she is a person to love. Do you see this woman? Jesus says. If you here today are a sex worker, you're very, very welcome at HTC. I'm so sorry if you've ever been made to feel unwelcome in church before. In the, the film Pretty Woman, an absolute classic. Uh, Richard Gere's character asks Julia Roberts, who plays Vivian, uh, why she chose to be a prostitute in Hollywood. And she says, it's not like you planned this, not like it's anyone's childhood dream. And he says, you could be so much more. Vivian replies, people put you down enough, you start to believe it. Edward says, I think you are a very bright, very special woman. And Vivian replies, the bad stuff is easier to believe. You ever notice that? We now know that there are, there are neural pathways in our brain. And uh, when people tell us what we're like and what we do and, and, and what we're about, and when we tell ourselves those things, you know, before you know it, it, it becomes your identity. It becomes the main thing about you. And this woman who approaches Jesus, she is someone who has been put down repeatedly, used and abused. And, and where Simon has experienced pride, this woman, she has experienced shame. It's a thoroughly modern moral moment. And Matthew Paris, the columnist in uh, The Times and The Spectator, an atheist, uh, he wrote last month uh, this. He wrote about how uh, the 21st century has become so judgmental, and also about how, how fear has replaced fun. And he wrote, has there ever been, in my lifetime at least, a time when a single set of rules and the attitudes and behavior that goes with them has had such an iron grip on polite society? I don't think so. Nor can I remember a time when people felt such a reproachful urge to correct and, if necessary, punish or to see that others did. This is what 
Simon the Pharisee wants from Jesus Christ. To punish this woman or to see her punished. Anne Lamott uh, said that you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Paris goes on, perhaps we have not, after all, abolished God. Instead, we have appointed ourselves to the post. A little does Matthew Paris realize just how on the money he is. Appointing ourselves to the post of God is the very definition of pride. This is the nature of pride. And, and Paris is saying this is actually an issue for a society that has forgotten God. This is an issue for people that have, have cast God to one side. But it's actually an issue for all of us. It's an issue for people uh, who would call themselves uh, Christians as well. As, as people of faith, as, as uh, followers of Jesus, it's very easy for us to not actually be following Jesus Christ. A look at the way that Simon relates to Jesus in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw what the woman did, he said to himself, if this man, if this man Jesus were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt famously said that comparison is the thief of joy. And he was right. But here we can also see that comparison is the thief of Jesus Christ. This man, he's, he's comparing himself, saying, in effect, I'm not as bad as her. I'm not as bad as this woman. And in so doing, he, he, is, he is keeping Jesus at arm's length. He's holding Jesus at arm's length. Look at the way that uh, Jesus replays uh, what's happened. Verse 44, then Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Of course Simon can see this woman. He can see nothing else. It's a total spectacle. But he's not seeing the woman the way that Jesus sees the woman. He's not really seeing her for who uh, she is, not the way that Jesus does. And Jesus goes on, I, I came into your house you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. We think this is a story about uh, the woman being outrageous. Actually, Simon's being outrageous here. He's, he's supposed to be the host. And although he's opened his home to Jesus, he's not opened his heart to Jesus. He's been rude to Jesus. It's almost like he's interviewing him. If you remember the passage that we looked at uh, last week, uh, if you're looking in our, our church Bibles, if you look directly across from these words here to the, to the left column, verse 31, uh, Jesus is saying this, this is a generation that is playing games. It's not really seeking the truth. Simon, he calls Jesus teacher, but he's not really looking to be taught by Jesus Christ. He's not being teachable. Like, Jesus, I want a TED talk. I want a podcast episode. Give me a cracking Sunday preach. But I don't actually want you in my life, Jesus Christ. It's possible for us to be quite defended to Jesus 
You know, Jesus, don't change what I believe. Don't change what I think. Don't change my priorities. Don't change what I do. Don't scuff things up, Jesus Christ. Simon's belief system gives him this, this illusion, this veneer of security. I say the right things in the right way and I do the right things, I believe the right things, I get certain outcomes. It's not just a, a, a way that often Christians think, it's, it's the way our whole society is wired at the moment, isn't it? This is what society expects from us. But it's still hollow because there's no relationship with Jesus Christ. And this, this pride puts, puts Simon in a very precarious place. As we read in the Bible that God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So if, if both pride and shame keep us at arm's length from Jesus Christ, and if pride actually puts us in opposition to Jesus Christ, then, then, then why is the woman doing what she does here in this passage. Well, she's not, she's not actually trying to, to approach Jesus. She's, she's responding to Jesus. In effect, with her actions, she's not saying please. She's saying thank you. Faith is more of a thank you than a please. Faith is more of a thank you than a please. Somehow this woman, she knows that Jesus has forgiven her debt. And it's a big debt. And so we know that the proportion of her love for Jesus Christ is directly related to the degree to which she's grasped the reality of the grace that she has received from Jesus Christ. We know this because Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. We also know this um, because of the parable that Jesus tells in the, in, in the middle of, of, of our passage. You know, this, this story within a story. It's like when a, a director uh, inserts a subplot into a film. And uh, often when Jesus tells parables, it's not uh, immediately obvious, at least not to me, uh, what he means. But here, it couldn't be clearer. Uh, Jesus, he, he reads Simon's thoughts in the way that Jesus does, and he says, Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender, and one owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So both of the people in this scenario, neither of them are able to pay the lender back. And uh, we read there that he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more, Jesus asks. And Simon replied, I suppose. You can sort of hear him, he's sort of like a, a naughty schoolboy that has been caught out. I suppose, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. Uh, once I went on a holiday with a friend who, um, who happened to be an accountant, and uh, we went off on the holiday. I came back from the holiday, and being the trainee vicar that I was, I was slow to pay him back. Um, and uh, he, he, eventually he, he sent me a text, and he said, uh, Jamie, I've forgiven your debt. 
And I didn't quite know how to feel about that. I mean, on the one hand, it's quite an intense thing to say. Um, on the other hand, I was thankful. Uh, faith is more of a thank you than a please. Um, but it is the language, apparently, of accountants, um, happening group of people. It's, it's the, the language of uh, our world. It's the world that we live in. And we know that all too well at the moment with uh, what's happening in the financial world. That we live in this world uh, of debt and the need for forgiveness. What is the definition of forgiveness? It's having your debt paid. And this woman, her, her sexual sin is quite obvious. You know, everyone around would have known about it, the impact it had in that community, the, the destruction of it. And Jesus, he does not minimize that debt. He says that her debt is great. And Jesus, he, he, he hates the sin of this woman. He hates the destruction that it, it wreaks. But he also hates the, the sin of the, the prideful Pharisee. Now, her, her, her debt is in plain sight. His, his debt is a little more oblique. It's a little more Clapham, isn't it? But whether the, the, the sin is spectacular, whether it's, it's secret, someone's got to pay. There's a cost involved. And that's what happens when you forgive someone you say, you don't pay the cost. I, I pay the cost when I forgive you. I pay the price. Uh, perhaps like many of you, over the past year or so, I've become quite obsessed uh, with um, orchestrating ways to minimize um, our home gas and electricity bill. And uh, uh, the energy supplier that we go with, um, if you log into my online account, there's a balanced forecast where it, it very kindly charts across the course of the year just how much into the red I'm going to go. And, uh, and then how I need to adjust the, the, the payments through the year uh, to, to sort that out based on weather conditions, based on my, my previous uh, usage, all those sorts of things. And for each one of us, for each one of us, the debt that we accrue over the course of our lives, Jesus, he has factored all of that in. And Jesus, he has come to pay those debts, past, present, and future. When I'm unforgiving of other people, it shows to me that I've forgotten. I've forgotten just how, how great the debt is that I need paying and just how much Jesus has forgiven me. This is why followers of Jesus have always given more than is reasonable of their resources, of their time, of their money, of their energy, of their priorities because you know, giving up your lives for others because we're, we're following Jesus, after all. You can't outgive Jesus, because you can't outlove Jesus Christ. Faith is a thank you, not a please. In the end, more than three times we're told that Simon is a Pharisee, at three times that the woman is a sinner, and three times that Jesus forgives sins. Verse 48, Jesus tells the woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you, past tense. 
Faith is a thank you, not a please. With religion, you're never quite sure that you're saved. There's still more work to do. Um, what, will, what are things going to be like? And, 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 and for Simon in this particular situation, with this mindset that he has, Pharisees um, thought that there are some sins where there's a need for compensation, to, to work your way back a bit. You know, make them squirm, make them suffer. But this kind of sin, this kind of sin of the, of the sinful woman, well, that's in a different category altogether. This woman needs to be cancelled. This woman needs to be condemned. And the Pharisee doesn't have any real problem. He doesn't have any real answer to the problem of human sin. He just delete them, cancel them. And thankfully, Jesus, although he is ruthless with sin, he is not ruthless with us. There comes a time, there comes a time uh, to, to stop playing games there comes a time when we stop comparing ourselves to other people and saying, at least I'm not as bad as them. And there comes a time when Jesus looks at us in the eye and lovingly and gently but firmly says, Jamie, I have something to tell you. Jesus sees you and me. Are our hearts soft to Jesus when he tells us about the debt that we owe? The artist Michael Goff and actor Barry Richardson staged a fringe event here in London called Iconography where Richardson dressed in the robes of Christ, including in the Square Mile in the financial district. And responses ranged from uh, people praying on the tube to shouts of abuse and confessions. Goff said that there was one woman in the front bar of a strip joint in Soho who spilled out everything about her life. Faith is not tidy. Faith is spilling out. This woman, she spilled out her perfume, she spilled out her tears, she spilled out her entire life. It's not very British, is it, to wear your heart on your sleeve, public displays of affection. I'm allowed to now say that to you because in November last year I became a British citizen. And um, it wasn't actually in the life in the UK test. Um, I, I had lots of really useful and helpful things about uh, Steve Redgrave and about the English Civil War, um, but nothing about public displays of affection. But I know that this can be an issue um, for, for British people. Uh, a well-known priest uh, who writes in the media uh, wrote about enthusiastic worship. It's the, it's the sort of religion that some of us watch through our fingers with embarrassment, like dad dancing. Just with, with one sentence, just mocking most of the global church who know and love the Lord Jesus. And this is not about whether on a Sunday morning we have the energy to wave our hands in the air and worship. This is not about us creating more rules. This is about our hearts. For Simon, for Simon, uh, the Pharisee, his dignity gets in the way. And Jesus does not respect us acting all dignified. 
Following Jesus more looks like being a snotty mess than prim and proper. You don't need to look like a good person. You don't have to be a good person. I mean, Jesus doesn't say you need to be a good person. This, this woman, she's not a good person. Jesus just says, you have to love me radically and passionately and love me with your whole life, just like this woman. When was the last time you let your hair down, I wonder? For a, a woman... In that society, the, the Mishnah, the rabbinic teaching, at least going out with your hair down as grounds for divorce without financial settlement. It's one surefire way to bring about social, uh, cultural, religious, economic disaster upon yourself. A bride also lets down her hair on her wedding night. And this woman, she's making an unmistakable, ultimate pledge of loyalty to Jesus Christ. In the, in the New Testament, the way that faith is described, the way that faith in Jesus is defined is, is by us having belief in him, by having a commitment to Jesus Christ, by having obedience to him. All three things that this woman shows to us. Faith is more of a thank you than a please. And we also uh, see this with the alabaster jar. And alabaster jars, if you're, um, if you're a wealthy woman in this society, you might carry this jar with you on your person. Or indeed, if you are a prostitute. And uh, the perfume inside the alabaster jar has this intoxicating smell that makes you attractive to other people. And alabaster jars have, have this long, delicate neck that makes it almost impossible to pour the perfume out of the jar. So the only way to access the perfume is to break the neck of this alabaster jar. And so this woman, she breaks the one currency, the one leverage, the one power that she has in that society. She is saying to Jesus, I will give up everything for you. No conditions. But for Jesus, for Jesus it wasn't a jar, was it? that was broken. We're about to celebrate communion and at communion we're reminded that for Jesus it was his own body that was broken for you and me. It was his own blood that was spilled for you and me. Your and my many great sins have been forgiven as Jesus' great love has shown. Each of us has an alabaster jar here this morning. I wonder what it is that is inside your alabaster jar. Perhaps pride, perhaps apathy, perhaps quite a lot of devotion to Jesus Christ. Bring your alabaster jar to Jesus. Don't hold back. Let it all spill out. And Jesus, he promises to pour out his Holy Spirit on you and me, unrelentingly, recklessly, extravagantly, with love on his face and tears in his eyes. Amen. Amen. Would you like to stand?